The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Hey fam, we are in Mark chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be in verse 13 as we continue our series through the gospel of Mark. I have a question for you, hypothetical. You're walking down a path. It's a spiritual journey path. You're going this way. On one side, there's a path that says, live for God. And in this fork in the road, there's a path that says, trust in God. You have to walk down one of the paths, but you can only choose one path. Live for God, trust in God. Which path are you guys choosing? So you're not going to live for God? Why are you trusting and not living? Whoa. Okay. Are you sure? Okay. Well, we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about the type of scoundrels that God loves this morning and the type that are trying to do it on their own. Are you guys ready? Are you sure? You don't seem ready, but if you're a... Uh, if you grew up in church this morning, um, just brace yourself, Edwin. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that, that this church family is one where we understand grace and the good news, that you, you love weary and wretched and broken people because that's the only type of people that there are. Lord, I thank you that this is becoming more and more a place where we can uh, leave our Sunday best at home and bring our Sunday honesty. God, I, I ask that we would encounter you today, that there would be nothing of a, nothing of a show, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would lay our needs at the foot of the cross, Lord, that those in here who feel like they've run too far from you or have secrets too dark to be saved from, I pray that you would speak to their hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you would make us a humble people, that you would make us people who trust. Open our eyes to behold your glory in our ears to hear your word. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. amen. Okay, Mark chapter 2. I'm just going to read through the passage today. This is when Jesus calls Levi the tax collector, also known as Matthew. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. You, uh, if you were living in this time, you would have liked Matthew as much as you like the IRS today. You feel it? Okay. I was going to say, imagine like the IRS stole from you. We don't have to imagine. <laughs> he said to him, follow me. And he, Matthew, Levi, rose and followed him. Verse 15, 
And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Okay. If you've been a follower of Jesus for more than five years, raise your hand. If you've been a follower of Jesus for more than 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I just learned that some of you are over 30, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, dang, my father-in-law is old, (laughs) that's a long time, you've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive, Charlie, hey now, hey now, this idea of Jesus coming to, to free sinners, we all know this if you've been in any church, and I think if you've been in this church family for a while, you've just heard me say, like, this is the type of people that Jesus chases after. This is the type of people that I believe we are called to reach, people that recognize their need for God. But it's, it's subtle, because these two paths, even though you guys, led by a few loud voices, said, Trust in God. That's the way to go because live for God and trust in God. Now you're thinking that that shouldn't be a fork in the road. But here's why it's a slippery uh, and oftentimes true fork in the road. Because there are people who are in need of a physician and there are people who don't see their need for a physician. There is a way to do religion that is far from God. Part of the reason I know that is because everywhere Jesus goes, the people that get the most annoyed with him are who? The Pharisees, religious people. These are the pastors. These are the seminary professors of their day and age. And they got mad at Jesus around every turn. And some of you are thinking, well, I, I am this guy who will trust in God. I don't have religious tendencies. I'm not like those religious people. Anyone ever thought that? I've thought that. I've been religious against religious people. So I just want to walk through a couple of things for us this morning. I want us to first understand that now we've seen in the, in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus has a pattern. He goes out, he talks to people about the kingdom, he shows people what the kingdom of God looks like, that it goes to the broken and the weary, and then he says, follow me. And he calls us, all of us in here, to be like him, to go out and say, hey, follow me. I love disciple making. Uh, I think it's fun. In case you don't know how it works, if you have children, you're, you're called to m- disciple them toward Jesus. You're discipling them toward something. Hopefully it's toward following God. And it's a repeatable process. One of the aspects that, that terrifies me is when I think about what it means to be a, a religious person and what it means to be a gospel-centered, a good news-centered person who trusts in God. Are you guys ready for this rundown? You're not going to be able to take notes as fast as I'm going to talk, but don't worry. Here's how 
they look differently, trusting in God versus living for God in your own strength. In regards to acceptance, religion says, I obey God, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel of Jesus says, I am accepted by God because of Jesus, therefore I obey. Regarding motivation, if your motivation is religion-based, it's going to be based, you're going you're to be motivated to live for God because of fear, fear or insecurity. If you are gospel-centered, if you are fixed on the cross of Jesus, your motivation is going to come because you're grateful and joyful for all God has done for you. In obedience, you will, in religion, obey God to get things from God. In the gospel of Jesus, you will obey God to get God himself. In your circumstances, and this is where I think God might peel back some of our hearts to reveal where we are religious people, when circumstances in your life go wrong, if you find yourself getting angry at God, if you find yourself doubting God, saying, I, I deserve something more than this, then that's a religious tendency. Because you think that your good behavior has earned you God's favor. If you believe in the gospel, when circumstances go wrong, you will struggle, but you'll know that all of the punishment fell on Jesus. So this is not God punishing you. It's God being a loving father, carrying you through difficult times to shape and to mold you. I love that the Bible has these stories of Jesus sitting with sinners. I thought this week, what would it look like for me if I were to model my life after this? What would it look like and how do I order my life so that I can be someone who is around sinners all the time? And then one of my friends last night said, uh, we're, we're celebrating someone's birthday. You should come over to our house. This was last night, and this was Don. And I said, it was last, I don't go out on Saturday nights ever, but I'm preaching on this passage. Jesus went and reclined with sinners. <laughs> so I'm on Facebook, and I thought, I should apply this. I should apply the good word. So I went over, and trust me, I'm no Jesus. I had champagne out of a Captain America coffee mug. It was a high-class affair. And I, I sat, and um, there was, it was like walking into a, um, a kindergarten classroom because the boys were over here and the girls were over here. And I looked at what the boys were doing. I said, I, I can't sit there. So I went and sat with the ladies, and we were just talking. And this whole time I'm thinking, Jesus just did this stuff. Like all the time. He just hung out with people. That if you were to look at really any group of people at any party I've ever been to, it's, I've never been to a party without sinners. But what I love about last night is that there was just this openness and honesty. Like nobody was trying to pretend anything. They were who they were, and I was who I was. And we talked about God, and we laughed, and then the Captain America, and then I went over to the, looked at the guy's table, went back away immediately. I didn't understand the game they were playing. And it's one of these moments where, for me, I thought, this is incredibly beautiful. Why is it that religious people don't like hanging out with certain crowds? Why is it that why is it that when 
you do a habit in our culture, you, you just get crushed if it's out of alignment with what church culture says is acceptable. And we all do it. We all judge others for something or another. In the moment that we judge someone, we have to realize that we've, we've been detouring on the path that says, I live for God. I'm good enough to be loved by God. When the truth is, is that amazing grace was for a wretch like you, not a decent human like you. If I were to ask you if, you would, if you're aimed toward heaven or hell, and you said heaven, I said why? If your answer is anything besides God's grace for me in Jesus, then you're on a path of religion. Let me ask you another question. Uh, some of you that grew up in church may, may find it difficult to look at someone who has a life different from you and accept them. Um, how many of you here, honest question, grew up and your pastor drank beer? Okay, so like two of you. How many of you here have ever heard a pastor use a bad word? If you're talking about me, just don't raise your hand. I'm talking about an another pastor. And my sermons don't count, okay? Um, how, many, how many of you here have seen a godly man or woman just lose their temper and go ballistic? Okay? How many of you here have seen a godly man or woman go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and just destroy it? Yeah, that's called gluttony. Just in case we're unclear, I know we're in the South, so it's like you don't mention that sin in the South. You mention drunkenness and dancing, but not gluttony. It's amazing to me how religion creeps in. It's amazing to me that we have this book where Jesus sits with these people and he leads them from their ways. They're, they're still sinners. They're still tax collectors. But Jesus wants to draw them out of the life. But you can't draw someone out of a life by pointing a finger at them and saying, you're a terrible person. Man, this week was wild, wasn't it? I wish there was something in the news worthy of talking about. Like a sexual assault allegedness. I, <laughs> I don't know where you land. This is not political. But the number of times that Judge Kavanaugh said he liked beer made me like him more. I don't know if you heard that or if you know what's going on. But there's a guy who's going to be in the Supreme Court, maybe. And there's a girl who's saying, this guy sexually assaulted me when we were teenagers. And there's this part where this justice, this going for the highest court in the land, says, I liked beer. I, I drank a lot of beer. I still like beer. I still drink beer. Beer is good. I like beer. Beer, 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 beer. And I'm like, this guy is going to be a Supreme Court judge. Maybe. This is wild. And then the back and forth. And I've already been in a funk all week. And I was just watching this unfold. And then I started to see what we see in churches. A senator saying, did you ever drink to excess? <laughs> You're literally asking a rich kid who went to a prep school in the 80s if they drank to excess. In the 80s, that whole decade is excess. Excessive hair, excessive ripped jeans, excessive music, excessive drugs. <laughs> and then there was one point 
And I love this. This is when religious people beat, beat up on religious people. He fired back. Have you ever drunk to excess? I'm like, is this still politics? Or did we go into a church gathering somewhere along the way? Because as much as we want to say something like this church is different, here's what we do and here's what I do. I look down at people who look down at people. I, I look at people who will point fingers and say, look at how sinful they are. And I'll say, look how religious you are. What have I just done? I've just come full circle. I've, I've Judgy McJudgerson, the Judgy McJudgersons. Criticism, if you're religious, you'll be furious and devastated because it's critical that you think of yourself as a good person. If you're gospel-centered when you're criticized, you might feel hurt, but it's not essential because you know who you are in Christ. These uh, criticisms are difficult to deal with. I used to hate, hate being criticized. If you criticize me today, you have a 24-hour window where you'll say something negative about me, and I'll build walls greater than the wall of China. Just boom, boom, boom. I'll, I'll deny, deny, defend, defend. And then 24 hours later, I'll usually come back and say, I think you might have been right about this, this, or that. Sometimes I'll just say it right then. I'm getting better at it. Anybody else in here a defender? You put your walls up when someone criticizes you? If you don't know if you are, well, here's an experiment to try. Um, try to criticize your spouse today. See how it goes. Just look at them and just, just size them up and critical them. Don't do that. The, the, idea, the idea of Jesus being with sinners isn't that he criticizes to push people down. He always calls people up. He always lifts them from where they are and says, follow me. We've, we've sort of botched Christianity, I think. I think that we've added God into our lives. And, and I can maybe prove it to you. Okay, if you, if you order your life of importance, anyone do this before? What's at the top? Starts with a G, rhymes with odd. Right? Have you guys done this? What comes after God, Christians? Family. Thank you, Christians. What comes after family, Christians? Some of you are like money, friends, sex. I'm like, y'all need some priority adjustments. So what comes after family? Community, friends. That, that could actually be, what a, let's be honest. What comes after family? Let's be real honest. What's at the top of that list a lot of the time? In you, yeah. It's a lowercase g, God. There, there's this idea in Christianity that we order. We say God, family, friends, work, hobbies. And if you've never done that before, we, we do it by saying, put God first. That's a good thing to do, right? I think that's actually very wrong. I think that putting God first is a broken view of Christianity. Are you nervous yet, Edwin? Okay. I'm glad that you're here. Can you stay for next service so I can make these jokes again? Here, here's, what I, here's what I'm proposing. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus didn't rank God, family, next to that. Jesus put God at the center of his life, 
in every aspect of his life, rather than God being one of the things you juggle, God is the central hub. So what does it look like if God is the center of your work? What does it look like if God is the center of your family? What does it look like if God is the center of your hobbies? Like literally, what does it look like if you go on a vacation and instead of just saying, where can I go to have an amazing time? You say, what can I do to love God and others on this vacation? Instead of picking a hobby where it's just all about you and yourself, maybe you pick a hobby and you say, how can, I, how can I put God at the center of this hobby? Even if your hobby is reading by yourself, start a book club. Maybe your favorite recreation is going on a cruise. Invite your pastor and pay for him and his family. I mean, it's an idea. What would it look like if instead of saying, okay, God and then family? Because that makes you almost feel like I've done my God thing and now I'm going to do my family thing. But what if you just put God in the center of it all? Say, God, how am I going to love my family today? Put, your, put God in the center of your work. It'll be a lot harder to complain when you go to work and your cubicle has become a worship center. It'll be a lot harder to to get mad at your spouse instead of just saying it's like God, my, my spouse, kids. If you say, God, I'm going to bring you to the center of, of my life and my relationship with my wife. How did you, how do you treat those you love? You, you die for them. So I'm going to die for my wife because you died for me. The difference is that if you order and rank God and family and hobbies and work, etc., um, you will get too busy for God. You have 168 hours in a week. Uh, this past week, I'm going through something weird. I'm going to go to the doctor because I've been sleeping a ton. If any of you are doctors, let me know what's going on with me. I'm sleeping like 10 to 12 hours a day, and I'm waking up still tired. Just text me, doctor people. Uh, no caffeine helps. So I'm Googling stuff. That's always the smartest way to determine your health needs, right? WebMD. So all of a sudden, I've got like adrenal failure, there could be some like, lumps on my kidneys. I don't know. So I stopped Googling stuff. Just started praying. I said, Lord, I don't know why I'm tired. I'm not numb. I'm just grumpy. I'm irritable. If you can't tell by my, my sermon. And I started asking myself, what is going on? And I, I think for all of us, what happens is this. You start juggling those 168 hours. I got to sleep. I got to work. I got to do something with my children. I got to coach. I got to pick up this second job. I got to do this baby shower. I got to go to this meeting. And, and if you're ordering your life, you can always let something fall. But what falls first? You're not going to let your marriage fall, usually, because you have to sleep next to that person. You can't let your, your child juggling act fall. Because what happens if you stop caring for your ch children? Like, certain age they die you know like all the way up until they're 23 apparently they just die they can't feed themselves so what what do you do you you, you let go of the things that are less important to you and some of you know you've let go of god and what i want you to do is to not say i got to start living for god i need you to start trusting in god because when you start trusting in god you get to be who matthew was you become a new creation. Living for God, trying to earn God's love, will lead you down a path to a place that will 
look like church. You'll walk down the path of living for God, and you'll land in this strange crowd where everyone smiles. You'll meet people, and you'll shake their hand, and they'll say, good morning, how are you? And you'll say, good, how are you? But everything will feel a little bit off. Everything will feel like it's a little bit too shiny. Everything will feel like Sunday morning. If you go down the other path that says, trust in God, this amazing thing happens. It's when you're on this path that the Bible says you become a new creation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And this leads to another room, this path. And in this room, people still smile, but it's not the same kind of smile. Have you guys ever seen a person with Botox? I remember the first time I saw Botox. It was so fun. Um, my mom used to have these terrible migraines, still has these terrible migraines. She takes that Imatrex stuff. It's like Jesus for migraine people. But at one point, the doctor said, we need to give you Botox to help your migraines. And uh, let me take my glasses off so you guys can get the full effect of this. Some of you all have Botox. I could tell from here. My mom came back from her migraine Botox, and she was like this. I was like, Mom, does it hurt? And she says, yeah, can't you tell? I was like, I can't tell nothing. I mean, if, if you've never had, if you've never seen someone with migraine Botox, they Botox all back of your head, front of your head, all your head, and it freezes your face. Sometimes that's what I feel like I walk into on, on Sundays or at church gatherings. We just need to look good enough. But it feels like something's not quite right, like something is not real or true, very Stepford wife feeling. On this side, there's a smile, but there's wrinkles. On this side, there's pain, but there's faith. On this side, people will welcome you. And on this side, when you walk in and the, the person greets you in the room at the end of the trust in God path, and, and you say, hey, I'm Ryan. And they say, welcome, we're glad you're here. How are you doing today? And you say, I'm fine. Somebody from the back of that room just hollers your way and says, you, you don't have to be fine here. And that's where you break down and say, I'm, I'm not good. This is a mess. I have a temper like this. I'm addicted to that. I keep going back to these problems. And you start crying in this room. And that obnoxious person in the back says, that's okay. We're with you. Is that all you've done? <laughs> and you cry some more. But in this room, at the end of trusting in God, is a group of people who will lift you up no matter what you've gone through. In this room, when you walk in, you feel the pressure to say that you're okay. Because you say, I'm fine. And they say, I'm fine too. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. The person that confesses in this room, they immediately get pushed away. This is the room for religious people. This is a room where everything is fine. Down the path of trusting in God, you land in a room where you can be not okay. And Jesus will still sit with you.
You land in a room where it's less about what you do and more about who you believe in. You live in a room where you can sit with sinners who are weary because that's what Jesus did. You live in a room where you can go to a pub with friends and drink beer and not be terrified that someone will see you and report back. You live in a room where when you struggle, people don't look at you with judgment, but they look at you with a hand to say, let's, let's keep moving. That's all I want for this chapel family is um, that we would walk down the path of trusting in God. That we would monitor our heart for when we judge others who sin differently from us. That we would be able to sit with sinners and tax collectors and not have someone look down their nose at us and wonder what we're doing. When I write a book, which I'm never going to do, one of my chapters is going to be called How I Lost Half My Leadership Team in the First Six Months of Pastoring a Church. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that it says a lot about me. It says an awful lot, though, about Edwin and Dave. They're still here. Jared's still here. But I lost half of the team. Partially because I was an idiot and insensitive but in large part because I wanted to sit down and support someone and have a drink. By the way, I told you guys my secret skill, right? As pastors, we get this skill from seminary. When someone takes a picture of you, your beard disappears in your hand. Then it comes back. Someone actually caught me with a beer in my hand finally. Don. <laughs> I'm just picking on you today. So today, let's... Let's be aware of who we love and how we love and who we judge and how we judge. Let's sit with sinners and call them to follow us, not on a path of debauchery, drunkenness, gluttony, lying, thieving, murdering, and the rest, but just down the path of trusting in God more and more each day. I'm not asking you to fast for 40 days. I'm not asking you to read your Bible in three months. I'm asking you today to say, I will trust in God more today than I did yesterday. I will believe that he was enough for me and that it's his obedience that gets me down the path and not my obedience. That it's his death and not me killing myself and beating myself to death. That it's his blood and not my sweat. All I'm asking is that today we trust God a little bit more. And maybe that starts with you going to Fifth Sunday. Maybe that starts with you apologizing to your husband or wife or children. But I know one thing for sure. It starts with you sitting down with someone who we would call, who the world would, who the church would call sick. Because those are the people who are ready to be healed by the great physician. Let's pray. Father, um, I'm just so tired. Lord, I need your energy. I need your spirit. I'm exhausted. Lord, I'm exhausted of the juggle. I'm exhausted of trying to portray something that I'm not. Help me, Lord, to trust in you. Help me to be so secure in you that nothing, nothing will come against me by way of judgment, that I could be free, fully free to enjoy you, to be satisfied with your love for me.
Father, I, I just want a church family here who I'm already seeing become this. Who We can be who we are. We can take off the masks we wear and still be accepted by a human being, no less. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the way that we have these pockets now that are striving after you and being honest and open. I thank you that that those people, Lord, who are addicted or, or broken or hurt have come forward to find healing. Lord, I pray the same for our, our, our nation. There are two large groups of people who are lobbing stones of hatred and judgment at the others. Help us to remember this week to love our neighbors. Lord, help those in here who are wrestling with the division to pray well, to pray with trust for people who are across the aisle from them. Lord, help us to pray for for Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh. Help us to pray for the senators and love them. Help us to love and pray for Lindsey Graham or Dianne Feinstein, for Cory Booker, or for Casserly, or for Jeff Flake. Help us to, to pray for those who we would see as across the aisle from us. And Lord, help us not to be like people who are putting up a front of perfection. God, I don't ever want to be that person again. I just want to be loved. I want to be resting in you. Lord, help us today to trust you more than we did when we walked in to walk down the path toward that sweet, sweet room where authenticity reigns and there's no more pretending. In Jesus' name, amen.